I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. I'm Aditya Ramnath and I work in the Geo Strategy Program at Takshila Institution. And I have with me Soyash Desai and uh, the China dude himself, Manoj Keval Ramani. And we're here today to talk about today's uh, summit in Mamlapuram uh, between President Xi of China and Prime Minister Modi. I want to start with you, Soyash. Firstly, before we get to what we can expect from the summit, what are uh, President Xi and Prime Minister Modi going to do in Mamlapuram? Uh, so the sh- uh, the summit as MEA is calling it, the Chennai summit was declared, uh, officially declared by the Ministry of External Affairs two days ago. Uh, Xi, President Xi is in uh, India today. The summit is in Mahabalipuram. The, the summit is spanned over two days, today and tomorrow, October 11th and 12th. Uh, the, there are few informal meetings. Lunch tomorrow, hosted by Prime Minister Modi to President Xi Jinping. And Though both the ministries have not said anything on what are they going to discuss, but it is expected the media, uh, the media debates are boundary dispute, maybe economy are important things that would be discussed over the period of two days. Yeah, so they seem to be having this penchant for uh, informal summits, right? Going back to Wuhan yeah, also. Yeah, I mean, uh, just the uh, sort of the rough tentative schedule that's been put out in the media, not sort of formally confirmed, um, essentially tells you a lot about uh, what you can expect. A lot of photo opportunities, lots of interesting visuals, uh, lots of talk about ancient civilizations, India and China being ancient civilizations. And sort of a display of some degree of bonhomie amongst the leadership of both the countries. Um, so I think that's what it is uh, largely. Um, and I think uh, that sort of will obfuscate some of the more substantive discussions that are going to take place. Firstly, we need to keep in mind that this is an informal summit, just like the one in Wuhan in April 2018. So we don't expect either side to talk about what the agenda is going in or what outcomes were sort of agreed upon in terms of a formal joint statement. We'll likely have something like uh, what we had after Wuhan, which is, you know, the Chinese putting out some sort of a statement about what they thought happened and what the leaders discussed. India sort of giving us some details, the Indian government, uh, most likely just like the last time, you know, the foreign secretary hold a news conference where he'll talk about different things. In terms of the issues that are likely to be discussed, again, um, when the Chinese foreign ministry was asked a couple of weeks ago, about what the leaders are likely to talk about, particularly in the context of the boundary issue in Kashmir. Hua Chunying, who's the spokesperson for the foreign ministry, one of the spokespersons, um, her response was that, uh, oh, I don't think some of these things are going to come up with. I mean, this is about upon the leaders to discuss whatever they want to discuss. And some of these smaller issues don't necessarily come up with that. She, she didn't use the word smaller, but the in- inference was that it's not necessarily that big an issue. Uh, there are larger strategic issues. Um, and I think that's the frame that we need to keep in mind as far as this conversation goes. Yeah, but I mean, what, one thing that strikes me is that if you have an informal summit, you don't actually have a commitment to any outcomes, right? Uh, absolutely. And that's the sort of problematic part about this uh, nature of engagement. The last time that India and China had a leadership level sort of state visit was 2015. 
It's been four years. Uh, you're going close to five years. You've not had a state visit. Prime Minister Modi and President Xi Jinping have met a number of times at international sort of events, the sidelines of international events. And this informal summit business sort of came into being uh, last year in 2018 when uh, you had the Doklam standoff in 2017. Things seemed to be rocky between the two sides. And it was decided that, you know, we need to meet at leader levels to try and stabilize the relationship and try and sort of recast the relationship in a broad strategic perspective, given the massive changes that are also underway around the world. And that sort of is, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge the US and right. what the US is doing. And I think that's broadly where this began. To me, this is sort of one of those events where the Chinese are paying a courtesy visit in some ways. Uh, you'll be talking about some of the substantive things, yes, but you're paying a courtesy visit. Uh, the summit which is happening today was confirmed just two days ago. And the short notice also tells you about the kind of difficulties that have existed in the lead up to this summit. Um, the last couple of months have not been good for India and China. Yeah, so just walk us through what those difficulties are, then we can talk about the mutual expectations that the two okay, countries um, have. So what's happened in the last couple of months uh, is that, okay, let's just go back to sort of rewind to April 2018 when Wuhan happens. And this sort of this term that comes out of Wuhan become mythical in some ways, the Wuhan spirit. What does it mean? It's quite sort of ambiguous. But broadly, what we what did we understand from Wuhan? We understood that both leaders said that we need to pass down what is being called a strategic guidance to the militaries. Uh, that peace and tranquility needs to be maintained at the border. Um, that led to some degree of changes in terms of how patrolling is done at the border, how sort of uh, delegations at the border are meeting with each other, how both the armed forces are sort of engaging with each other in order to avoid uh, confrontation. Since then, there was no major incident, uh, barring one in September in Ladakh. Even that was pretty quickly diffused. But the fact that it took place tells you a little bit about the fact that things started to deteriorate. Yet the fact that it was diffused within 24 hours tells you that some of the mechanisms that have been put in place worked. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is on trade. Again, at Wuhan, they had again spoken about trade, addressing the trade deficit. India-China trade deficit stands at about 60, nearly 60 billion. Uh, sort of, their figures sort of vary depending on which side's data you take into account. Um, India says the trade deficit has fallen. China actually says the trade deficit has increased. And one of the reasons why India's figures show differences uh, is because India calculates it on a financial year basis. China cap calculates it on calendar year basis. And also, does Hong Kong get included in that trade data or not is also a matter of uh, sort of contention. But broadly, the picture to take away is that we still have a massive trade deficit over $50, $55 billion. Um, we've been wanting to address it. There have been a number of talks. There's been some sort of movement in the last year where things like uh, non-Basmati rice has been exported to the Chinese, uh, raw sugar uh, on sort of fish, agricultural products. There's been sort of some of this talk about increasing Indian exports. I mean, there has been some increase in Indian exports. But none of this is going to really redress a trade dispute because these are uh, agricultural products. These are not sort of manufactured goods, capital goods, which are going to sort of be expensive and address that. Um so the big debate still remains about pharmaceuticals and that's still not addressed despite changes in Chinese legislation. So that's the other thing. The third thing linked to trade is the RCEP. India has serious, serious issues with regard to signing the RCEP, although it seems like we will sign on to it. Um, and the issue is about how much can we negotiate in terms of uh, a tariff differenti differentiation with regard to the Chinese specifically. Um, so that's another one of those bones of contention that we have. I mean, those are sort of intensified. One of the big positive movements that happened post Wuhan was the listing of Masood Azhar as a terrorist, which the Chinese agreed to after much cajoling, to be polite. Um, and um, that created an environment where at least there could be some positive conversation. 
But things have sort of been on a downward spiral since August 5th, once India announced uh, the scrapping of the special status for Jammu and Kashmir and created two union territories. The Chinese were very strong in their response. They even took up the issue at the UN Security Council. And that sort of has further precipitated a decline in sort of bilateral understanding. Um, so this is some of the stresses that have taken that have sort of taken place. Um, and the idea is that in this summit in Mamlapuram, hopefully they can try and address some of these things. The Chinese have since August 5th softened their position on uh, Kashmir. Um, but yeah, but that's essentially what's been the lead up to this particular summit. Yeah, I'm assuming that uh, the military exercises in Arunachal Pradesh are also an irritant in this. Uh, yeah, the uh, so recently Chinese complained about the military exercises, though India has repeatedly assured that it is not directed towards uh, China. It is also 100 kilometers away from LAC in Arunachal Pradesh. But the timing of the exercises were such that it is very much close to and happening at the time when... Uh, this uh, summit is taking place is a major irritant. I want to focus on two things which Manoj didn't say but he has written in the recent paper that he has uh, published. One is about the technology. Is China expecting something from India? Would technology be a, a role of Huawei in India? What would be the India stand? Will India stand be as ambiguous as it is right now? Is that something China is expecting from India? Would that be discussed? Second one, uh, from India's point of view, China stand on NSG, China stand on India's participation in NSG and United Nations uh, Security Council. Uh, this are the two important things that both the sides would be expecting. Uh, and I am not sure whether they will get addressed or if they even if they are addressed, what would be the way forward? There is ambiguity over So that. on Huawei, you mean 5G? Yes. Yeah, the extent to which India is going to allow Huawei to participate in the Yes, 5G because program. even India has not come out clearly on what how they are going to uh, allow... China on 5G, whether they are going to allow them on critical sectors, what is the way in future? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so some of the some of the statements that have come out from the Indian government uh, over the past month, um, when Foreign Minister Jay Shankar was in the US, he was asked about 5G. And his response was uh, that, well, this is not a political issue for us. This is a technical and a security. This is a telecoms issue for us. Right. Uh, and we deal with China, and I'm quoting him here, very, very bilaterally. So that sort of is an indication to the to the Chinese that look, this is we're not aligning with the US on this because that's essentially what the concern is for Beijing, right? And that's I think our messaging to them. Um, but we've not really come up with a position on this. Uh, the Chinese have um, so there have been reports, right? A couple of months ago, the Indian ambassador to China was called up and he was told that look, if you ban Huawei and Chinese telecommunications companies. We're likely to take sort of uh, apply reverse sanctions on your companies, whatever that means. Um, but essentially, we're going to take some sort of action against your companies. So the Chinese are making a political issue out of this because um, they realize that as much as India might like to say this is not a political issue, it is a geopolitical issue. So I do presume that there is some of this which is going to come up in this particular conversation. Um, but again, the fact that it's an informal conversation, uh, how much of your commitments really matter? What sort of commitments can you make? The nature of an informal conversation is that it may breed wonderful rhetoric, but lots of ambiguity. Um, so it would be really good if you can actually move away from this because ambiguity can be beneficial to India in certain spaces, but uh, particularly on things like trade and the border, which are seriously core issues for us. Um, we can't afford ambiguity. Yeah, so obviously, this is not the best way to deal with these issues. But I do just want to come back to, you know, what you said about um, Huawei. Uh, my sense is that the Chinese very much see Indian foreign policy through the prism of the United States. 
And, yeah. And uh, so, you know, and while India is definitely under pressure from the US, uh, you know, and there are people in India who have their own concerns about this, whether misplaced or not. But just to go back to, will she expect some clarity from Modi on the US-India relationship? And yeah. what is it that India can say? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there is much that we can say. Look, uh, the fact that he's coming here uh, and uh, prime, the Prime Minister just coming back from the US after that mega Howdy Modi event. Yeah. To me, this is what the Chinese want from us. They don't want us to be part of any sort of alliance which is looking at, and I'm not even talking about a formal alliance. I'm talking about some sort of a loose alliance which is looking at, which has the containment of China as its objective. Whether containment of China is even possible is another question altogether. But which sort of sees, you know, this happening. Even if you can't get an India which is supportive, you want an India which is non-aligned as at best. I think the Chinese do realize that, you know, uh, the Indo-US uh, Indo relationship is going to grow. The issue is how far can we see that growing? And also the Chinese are sort of investing in the fact that India wants to be a major global player. And it doesn't probably want to be a major global player with a US which is unreliable, particularly under Donald Trump. How far post-Trump the US is reliable, how far US foreign policy sort of changes course again, and whether that's even possible given how deeply it's been undermined in the last uh, three, four years. Um, is are sort of things that are going to be, uh, you know, th that's one of the factors that brought India and China together in, uh, you know, in April 2018 was this sense that, look, there are massive changes underway in the world order. Uh, the balance of power is sort of beginning to shift eastwards in some ways. And with that, there will come lots of uncertainty. Um, so I think that's also one of the things. The Chinese predominantly see India from the prism of the US uh, and their competition with the US. And I think that's one of the clarities that he will seek. Um, at Wu at Wuhan, we'd mentioned that uh, we uh, India sort of stands holds sort of holds firm its decisional autonomy, strategic and decisional autonomy. And I think that's what we should continue to reiterate because that is also in our interest to reiterate, not to just placate the Chinese, but actually that's in our interest to say that and to actually believe that we hold steadfastly to our strategic and decisional autonomy. Of course, we have to compromise on certain interests at certain places. And Iran is an example of that. Um, but by and large, we're not sort of anybody's lackeys. Right. Also, to add one more thing that China would be seeking is India. I, I know that India is one of the first countries to oppose BRI. Also, Manoj has continuously point out, pointed out, and even he has published it in his recent document, that if India could work with China... And not under the frame of BRI, for example, if Chinese investments are coming in. So what is India's stand on that? How would this relation go forward? I am not sure how how that this is going to happen because uh, when Chinese companies are investing, for example, uh, in mega infrastructure projects, uh, Japanese have invested in bullet train, Japanese have invested in Delhi Metro, they are mm. investing in Mumbai Metro. If Chinese are investing in India, obviously they will... Uh, use BRI for their loaning, for getting loans from their banks and invest in India. Yeah. So, and why, why would India approve and how would India approve? How this equation will go forward? Look, I think, uh, so on India being part of BRI, I think that's a dead horse. Mm -hmm. uh, with it's no need to flog it anymore. I think, uh, and just as recent as a week ago, again, Jay Shankar, foreign minister, was speaking at a forum in India said that, you know, BRI will not apply to India. We will not be part of it. Yeah. And I think that's as clear as we can be. Um, I think uh, that does not preclude participation in any other projects and that does not include China, uh, preclude part Chinese investments in India. We've been talking about Chinese investments in infrastructure in India even before BRI came to be. 
there are structural reasons why that is not happening a lot of it has to do with uh, the nature of the indian regulatory system uh, and the limitations of chinese investors in terms of how they engage with it a lot of it also has to particularly on railways there's been talks about investing in indian railways for some time station development track development there are uh, you know there are subway cars which the chinese have sold us chinese companies have sold um but developing that infrastructure has been limited because of a number of other issues regulatory issues data issues in terms of at what scale uh, location and area data you provide the chinese those sorts of things have sort of limited uh, some of this stuff i don't see this as being contradictory i think the chinese can happily invest in india provided the indian government sort of works out its regulatory frameworks um if domestically a chinese company wants to classify that as a bri project good for them but wouldn't that wouldn't it wouldn't india take a stand that is a it? matter of domestic chinese politics mm-hmm. despite india saying no to bri very emphatically in 2017 even then repeatedly maps have shown kolkata as a port in bri it makes no difference what they want to say uh, it does not change anything we need to realize that as bri is a political project just like any other political project operates in any other country classifying something as bri whether it is purchasing of horses from central asia or flight connections or trains or whatever is merely nomenclature in many ways for companies to be able to access loans in china that's how the business environment works over there because it's political signaling domestically you can call whatever you want bri today the chinese could call you know selling toys in india as part of bri whatever the company wants to call it the company wants to call it from an indian government point of view we are clear we are not part of bri because bri entails certain frameworks and we have not signed those but wouldn't that be taking a toll on india's domestic politics because when china hypothetically when china is doing something in india and they are saying that it is under the part of bri uh, indian government the current regime would come under questions because of if opposition is smart enough to take it up that india are working in bri in spite of you not doing i it. really find it difficult that the indian opposition currently would <laughs> make an issue of it and this government would buckle on something like this uh, that is secondly, why it is if it is smart enough anybody sitting in any part of the world can say anything mm-hmm. your official policy and what you've signed on is what you've signed on to uh, and we have not signed on to bri Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is another discussion altogether mm-hmm. uh, the fact that we've not signed on the fact that we've not signed on that's the case um, what chinese companies do domestically to acquire loans is up to them uh, so obviously bri is like embedded in the whole political economy of china yeah. but are there other uh, obstacles in the way of chinese companies investing in india are there things that india can do to ease their doing business here so yeah i mean uh, fundamentally uh, it's about what do we want to get chinese investments for so uh, from a business to business investment point of view over the last 3 years have been quite good right we've seen about 8 8 1/2 billion dollars worth of chinese money come into india a lot of that money has come in sort of new technologies um so alibaba has invested in paytm you've got investments in swiggy uh, you've got investments across the board in different different sort of from financial technology to food technology to uh, ola has gotten investment from dd and all of those um and that's good i don't think there is any sort of restrictions on that the issue on that from an indian point of view particularly a security issue is probably likely to come in the context of data security uh, and that's also likely to come in the context of whether there is cross border data flow secondly uh, are these investments in terms of what sort of equity holdings of these investments and command and whether that then influences some of the decisions that these companies take so i think those are some of the issues so therefore the investment has gone there 
I've particularly wanted to see a lot more Chinese investment in sort of what we call dumb infrastructure, uh, roads, bridges. Um, but that's not really materialized. Even sort of industrial parks that were discussed during uh, Xi Jinping's visit in 2014 have moved at a glacial pace. Why is that? That has a lot to do with our own regulatory frameworks. Um, you know, the, the difficulties in acquiring land, the difficulties in doing that, and also the fact that a lot of, a lot of times investment slows down because of this unstable relationship between Delhi and Beijing predicated on the land boundary dispute. So if you look at 2014 to 2017, what you will see is that uh, when Modi came into power, things looked really, really good. Uh, Xi Jinping visited Gujarat first. You know, I'm taking you to my hometown. And then, you know, that entire song and dance at the Sabarmati. And then subsequently, we were repaid in kind when Modi visited Xi'an. Yeah. So the things looked fine. But then there were these fundamental issues that came up with Suyash mentioned the NSG. Uh, Masood Azhar was one of them. The UNSC. A number of these issues start to sort of come up and things go on a downward spiral. And then they get stabilized again. Um, so when things go through a, that sort of downward spiral with incursions and these broader geopolitical issues, you end up in a state as a company saying, well, do we want to be committing billions here? Or is it going to become difficult to then do business? Um, so that sort of uncertainty makes it difficult in many ways. All right. I'm glad you brought up the land dispute, uh, the border dispute, because uh, just a short while back after the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit, the Indian side seemed quite optimistic, actually, that there might be some progress on this. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, when I read that statement after the meeting in Bishkek, I was myself quite surprised because, uh, you know, we were saying things like, uh, both the leaders recognize that this is a historic, their terms are a historic opportunity to move forward on many issues. Um, and the implicit sort of suggestion was that on the boundary issue, there could be some movement forward. Um, to me, this is really wishful thinking. The Chinese didn't say anything remotely close to that. This is really wishful thinking, even at this summit that we're likely to see over the next 24 hours, whatever you hear about any sort of, uh, you know, movement forward on the boundary dispute, uh, look at it within this framework that um, this is a dispute on which we don't really at the moment even know where perceptions lie. You know, where are the claim lines? Secondly, um, is it in Chinese interest? Is it in Beijing's interest to address this dispute? No, it's a massive irritant that you can keep alive as a messaging and signaling tool to India. It keeps India on its toes. It prevents India from significantly investing in its navy uh, because we need to be worried about our territorial boundaries. Also, if you settle the LAC with the Chinese in one way or the other, well, what about portions of Kashmir other than the LAC which the Chinese are occupying? Um, and I think those sorts of things need to also be settled. And I think therefore it's very, very difficult to move forward on this. But predominantly think of it from this point of view. Would Beijing want a rising India with a settled, calm border, focused on development, growing economically without any irritants, becoming gradually more powerful? Yes, there will still be a massive asymmetry, but do you want a second big player within this region? Uh, you're ideally likely to not want that. And they've been trying to pitch themselves as a balancer between India and Pakistan. You can't do that unless you have other irritants with India. Um, so therefore, I would sort of be very, very cautious about any positive sounding things uh, that come out from the summit, unless you come up telling us that we've finally agreed to exchange maps within a period of a year of our claim lines. That would be a genuine sort of move forward. Other than that, talk about things like early harvest solutions and we'll sign an agreement and, you know, yeah, you can do other things like opening more border checkpoints for trade and those sorts of things. 
but those are not really resolving things. Um, so I would sort of look at this in slightly, I'd be slightly more cynical about some of this stuff. This is the classical problem of both the country's approaches towards the boundary dispute. There is an anecdote from 1950s in Neville Maxwell's book. Uh, so when Nehru, Panikar and Bajpayee were asked about boundary dispute, their reply to it that we'll deal with it when it comes in when it when China raises it we know that there is China has a problem but we'll deal with it later and when uh, Chao Enlai was asked about it Chao Enlai in 1959 Chao Enlai said that uh, we have to deal with the problem when we are strongest so that is how it works in both of them yeah so that, today, is, that is the approach which is replicated today. Yeah, and today the Chinese are in far much strong far more a stronger position than us right five times the size of the economy a much more a stronger force uh, far more sort of uh, strength in that sense in terms of the asymmetry but still lots of issues on their periphery all right so mamalapuram summit is not going to yield much uh, the border dispute there's no interest for the chinese to solve it this is going to act as an irritant in the india china business relationship so what are the prospects for india china relationship uh, can we do something to improve them is it worth trying to improve them um, having said that, uh, Wuhan did yield results, as Manoj had pointed out in the initial conversation, that uh, after Doklam, Doklam went on for 60-70 days, and the recent in, uh, skirmish, not the skirmish, the recent standoff or tensions that happened in last month, they were uh, eased, the tensions were eased within few hours. So yes, the strategic communication has happened at least the arm, both the border patrolling sides know when to uh, when to patrol. Both of them know whom to interact with, how to deal with the situation. And this is the message from the top. This is top to bottom message that you have uh, you have to interact, how to interact, when to interact, and how to ease off tensions. This example shows that there is a progress as compared to Doklam. Let's see what happens. See, I mean, in terms of the question of uh, is there any is it is the effort worth it? Uh, of course it's worth it. Uh, our trade together today is $100 billion. That's a huge amount. So of course it's worth it. Uh, there's a lot more potential to this trade. Uh, and if India's sort of national interest, uh, like we like to call it here, is Yoga Shema, you know, peace and prosperity, development for everybody and those sorts of things, um, we need to build this relationship better. Uh, not just from a security point of view, but also from an economic development point of view. But we need to be realistic about what can, how far can this go? There are obviously irritants and those, uh, and even when you have irritants with an adversary, um, it's the best thing to do is to actually talk to your adversary. Um, so even in the case of war, you don't end up breaking down communication. So the conversation is good. Uh, perhaps more formal conversation is better. What can we look forward to from this summit? I mean, to me, there are a couple of things that I hope would be spoken about, but I'm mostly certain that it's not going to happen. So I think there needs to be a realization that while this top-down communication is good in terms of maintaining, sort of keeping a lid on some tensions, you need to at the same time develop an organic nature to this relationship. You need to involve states, you need to involve cities and you need to have them sort of take the lead. You need to have businesses take the lead. You need to develop constituencies that want to balance this relationship beyond just sort of Delhi and Beijing. And I think that's one way to go about this thing. There has been an attempt made at this in terms of this people-to-people -people engagement uh, forum that has been set up uh, and a media forum that's been set up over the last couple of years. But uh, again, these are very top-down events. You're doing 70 grand events over the next year to mark the 70th anniversary of the bilateral relationship. But that's, at, again, at a very surface level. This needs to become more organic. 
why this is not becoming organic is again because of security issues. So, I mean, last week we were talking about how uh, India wants to sort of keep tabs on educational linkages between Chinese universities and India. I think those are the kind of things that are problematic. We need to encourage some of that. Um, so that's one level of what we need to do. On trade, we need to actually talk more purposefully and say, look, this is an opportunity. You're under pressure. Beijing's under pressure from the US and many other places. We want to be part of the RCEP deal. Uh, and we want to have a deeper trade relationship with you, but you need to do away with some of the non-tariff barriers. And we need to see tangible action. It's not just rice, sugar, fish meal. You need to, to change on some of the more fundamental things. On technology, there is a lot that actually we can and we should work together. Um, security is a issue. And again, this is a conversation that we need to frame in the context of, look, if you open your tech sector to us uh, and to our content producers, to our guys, if you sort of become freer and fairer, uh, we are also wanting to work together on technology because it's not just telecoms as technology. There are many more things, you know, earthquake sensing, some of those things. There are many multiple things that you can work on together. In terms of the border, to me, the best case outcome from an Indian point of view from this summit would be we get clarity or we get them to commit to clarity, if nothing else. Um, but just a performance statement which says that we are both going to work for peace and tranquility Okay, it's acceptable, but, you know, it doesn't really change the status quo. But peace and tranquility is important for us also, as it is for them at this point of time. I think the one area that we should be really pressing them apart from all of this is terrorism. India has been conspicuously silent about Xinjiang. I think it's okay if you want to be silent about it. Uh, but we also need the Chinese to work with us on terrorism with Pakistan. Um, and I think we should be pushing that as a core interest with them. If... That's not something that's being developed further. Um, I do think that we need to also voice our views on Xinjiang because there is a values issue that we need to protect. Um, and I think we should make our positions clearer, uh, particularly given the fact that just this week, the US has announced sanctions on Chinese officials in Xinjiang, companies that are involved in surveillance. Um, so this is going to get sharper and we need to be watchful of this. At best, we need to be watchful. Uh, uh, even better, uh, we can leverage it. Finally, on Tibet which is something that I think the Chinese would want our view on, given that um, the Dalai Lama is aging, his health is not great. I think we need to steer clear of any sort of commitments uh, during this summit. The Chinese want to appoint their own Dalai Lama eventually. And we need to tell them, look, this is a religious issue. Uh, it's not a political issue for us. We don't interfere in political issues. It's a, in, in religious issues. It's a matter of religious freedom in India for the dependent community. They can do whatever they want to do. Um, and I think we should be clear about that. I don't think we should be giving it away. There's no reason for us to. So I think that's broadly where I think things can be worked on. Certain things can be worked on. On things like Afghanistan, we should have a purposeful dialogue with the Chinese because we would it would be great to have some sort of a presence with the Chinese in Afghanistan. Um, this was talked about the last time also in Wuhan and it got diluted to a diplomat training program. Something more, why not? So I think there's lots of stuff to do and I'm sure it'll irritate Pakistan. Chabahar. Exactly, Chabahar. Yes, eventually. So there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to do. But again, my expectations from the summit are low. Um, but I'm happy to be surprised. Okay, on that note, uh, thank you so much for joining us on this, uh, Manoj and uh, Suyash. Can you just share your Twitter handles with uh, us? So I can be reached at Suyash underscore Desai. And I can be reached at, at the China dude. And I'm at uh, Aditya R22. All right. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. 
The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila INST or our website takshashila.org.in.